1: represented ancient Babylon. This is King Nebuchadnezzar and the kingdom of Babylon. But Neb would need to know that his king and kingdom, well, it was temporary. Your days are numbered, and they were. Because history records for us that exactly what the dream foretold happened. The Medes and the Persians, the chest of arms and silver, they came in, conquered Babylon, and they ruled for a period of time. But their days were also numbered. As Pastor Danny begins his teaching today through the book of Daniel, he'll
0: be explaining how important it is for us as Christians to understand prophecy and its fulfillment. The prophetic dream that God gave to Nebuchadnezzar was extremely detailed in explaining all the different kingdoms that would rise up. Scholars say there will be a kingdom that rises from the ashes of the Roman Empire in Europe and that the Antichrist will come from it. All the more reason for you to keep your eyes focused on the second coming of the Lord Now here's Pastor Danny in the book of Daniel chapter 2 as he begins his message, Daniel Overview.
1: felt led to kind of give you just an overview of Daniel. We're going to go to some scriptures in Daniel, but it's more of a, here's the book and here's why God gave it to us. And there are three reasons for the book. One, it's a book of prophecy. I love prophecy. How fascinating that God has written down in the scriptures prophecies of future events. Some that have already taken place, some that are yet To take place. Jesus in Matthew 24 referred to Daniel as a prophet, and he certainly was, is a prophet. What Revelation is to the New Testament, Daniel is to the Old Testament. A lot of prophecy here, a lot of the same kind of prophecies as in the book of Revelation. It's a book of prophecy. I love prophecy. Chapter 2, for example, verse 31. Let me give you the background real quickly. Babylon is the scene. King Nebuchadnezzar is the king over ancient Babylon. He has a dream. It troubles him. He wants to know what the dream means. Daniel is brought before him, and God gives Daniel not only the dream, but the interpretation of the dream. And here he tells King Neb, Nebuchadnezzar, verse 31, you looked, O king, and there before you stood a large statue, an enormous dazzling statue, awesome in appearance. The head of the statue was made of pure gold, its chest and arms of silver, its belly and thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet partly of iron and partly of baked clay. While you were watching, a rock was cut out, but not by human hands. This is a supernatural rock. It struck the statue on its feet of iron and clay and smashed them. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, and the gold were broken to pieces at the same time and became like chaff on a threshing floor in the summer. The wind swept them away without leaving a trace. But the rock that struck the statue became a huge mountain and filled the whole earth. It's a prophetic dream. The challenge, because it's an overview, is I can't get into a lot of the detail, and there's some really cool detail in the book of Daniel. We just ordered the projector. It's coming. When we get it installed, what I'm showing you now will be really big then. But that's all you got right now. It's a depiction of the the human image that Nebuchadnezzar saw in his dream, the head of gold. Chest and arms of silver, legs of iron and feet, partly of iron and partly of baked clay. You're going to have to trust me on this. If we had the time for the detail, uh, you'd go away knowing that this is true, that the head represented ancient Babylon. This is King Nebuchadnezzar and the kingdom of Babylon. But Neb would need to know that his king and kingdom, well, it was temporary. Your days are numbered and they were because history records for us that exactly what the dream foretold happened. The Medes and the Persians, the chest of arms and silver, they came in, conquered Babylon, and they ruled for a period of time, but their days were also numbered. And after them, the belly and thighs of bronze, that's Alexander the Great and ancient Greece. And they came in and conquered the Medes and the Persians. And they ruled for a while, and then... Rome, the legs of iron. Rome developed iron weaponry. I mean, it was amazing because Rome had this military machine that basically rolled over everybody in their way, crushed them. But there's a dual prophecy here, a dual meaning. It's the legs of iron, but then the feet with the ten toes, and the feet are... Partly of iron and partly of baked clay. This is a future revived Rome. Isn't it interesting that Rome was never conquered by another power? Rome kind of disintegrated. Rome kind of just over time disappeared. Wow, well, Rome's coming back. And it'll be, according to the Bible, a ten-nation confederation with another little king coming up and ruling over those kings. It's going to happen. Fascinating prophecy. Now, chapter 2 of Daniel, go down to verse 44. In the time of those kings, now he's talking about this revived Rome. In the time of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed, nor will it be left to another people. It'll crush all those kingdoms and bring them to an end, but it will itself endure forever this is the meaning of the vision of the rock cut out of the mountain, but not by human hands. A rock that broke the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold to pieces. If you're a note taker, you can write down Isaiah 28:16. Isaiah 28:16. God says, I lay a stone in Zion, a precious stone. And those who put their trust in him will never be dismayed, never be discouraged. Talking about Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 4, refers to the rock that accompanied the Israelites in their wilderness wandering, and that rock was Christ. This is the rock here in Daniel that will one day crush all other kingdoms, set up his kingdom, and he will rule forever and ever and ever and ever. I love this book. It tells us ahead of time. For the sake of time, we can't go anymore in Daniel chapter 2, so go to Daniel chapter 7. Daniel chapter 7. And here, uh, Daniel has a dream. And his dream, he sees four beasts. Verse 2, in my vision tonight I looked, and there before me were the four winds of heaven churning up the great sea. Revelation tells us the great sea are peoples and nations and tongues. Four great beasts, each different from the other, came up out of the sea out of the world the first was like a lion had wings of an eagle i watched until its wings were torn off and it was lifted from the ground so that it stood on two feet like a man and the heart of a man was given to it there before me was a second beast which looked like a bear it was raised up on one of its sides had three ribs in its mouth between its teeth it was told get up and eat your fill of flesh after that i looked there before me was another beast one that looked like a leopard On its back, it had four wings like those of a bird. This beast had four heads, and it was given authority to rule. Verse 7, after that in my vision at night, I looked, and there before me was a fourth beast, terrifying, frightening, very powerful, had large iron teeth. It crushed and devoured its victims and trampled underfoot whatever was left. It was different from all the former beasts, and it had ten horns. Now, again, there is detail here that we don't have time to get into, Detail that's really fascinating and confirms for us, and you're going to have to trust me, that the lion represents Babylon. I almost got into detail. I can't do it. The bear represents ancient Medo-Persia. The leopard, Alexander the Great, conquered the then known world faster than any ruler before him. That's depicted in the leopard, fast. Four wings of the leopard... Alexander died at a very young age. When he died, his kingdom was divided between his four top generals. That's the four wings on the leopard. And there are other details with the bear and the lion. Again, don't have time. And then the last beast represents Rome. The iron teeth crushing and devouring its victims. But not just ancient Rome. Again, a dual Meaning here, a future revived Roman Empire, over which a person the Bible calls the Antichrist will rule and reign. Now, I don't know if you're paying attention. Are you? If you're paying attention, uh, Daniel chapter 2, when Nebuchadnezzar has his dream of the human statue and the prophetic meaning behind the human statue and the head of gold, et cetera, et cetera, It's the exact same meaning and interpretation as Daniel's dream, but Daniel's dream is given depicting four beasts. Why the difference? Very simple. When you read even in the book of Daniel about Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar thought a whole lot about himself. Is this not the great Babylon which I have built by my power? God said, I'll show you. And when the lion is stripped of its wings here, it's Nebuchadnezzar for seven years. He basically lost his mind until he acknowledged the sovereign God. He's the one. He raises up and he lets down. And he promotes and he exalts and he humbles. Nebuchadnezzar's dream depicts the perspective of somebody like Nebuchadnezzar in terms of human power, might, glory. It's the human statue. It's the exaltation of the human being. Daniel's dream is heaven's perspective of kings and kingdoms that do not acknowledge, revere, and submit to the God of heaven. They are beastly, and their days are numbered, and they will fall. Daniel 2, Nebuchadnezzar's dream. Daniel 7, Daniel's dream. Same meaning. Same interpretation. Now, Daniel chapter 9, verses 25 to 27, one more fascinating prophecy where Daniel is given a prophecy about 490 years of human history. At the end of the 490th year, Jesus returns, sets up his kingdom. But the years are broken up. And one very significant break is after the 483rd year fulfillment, which has been fulfilled. It has been fulfilled because at the 483rd year, the anointed one, Messiah, the Christ, will be cut off. That's the cross. And there's a pause in the prophecy between the cross and the beginning of the final seven-year period. 483 years, the cross, seven years, the great tribulation. That's what the Bible calls it. Yeah, future. And this Time not predicted, not revealed by the Old Testament prophets and saints, but now the New Testament through men like the Apostle Paul, we know we're living in what's called the church age. The cross, 483 years prophecy fulfilled. Seven years, yet future, could happen anytime. Beginning of the Great Tribulation. I believe the rapture of the church takes place before the Great Tribulation, but you're getting way ahead of me. Fascinating prophecy. It's a book of prophecy. I love it. Because prophecy is meant to encourage us regarding the future. We have a glorious future if you put your faith in the rock, in Jesus. We have hope no matter what this world throws at us. It's a book of prophecy. But I told you three things. So now the second, now the second. It's a book that illustrates for us and encourages us, encourages us to live for God in the midst of a godless culture, in the midst of a godless society. Go back to Daniel chapter 1. Look at verse 3. Then the Greek king ordered Ashpenaz, as chief of his court officials, "...to bring in some of the Israelites from the royal family and the nobility, young men without any physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, qualified to serve in the king's palace. He was to teach them the language and literature of the Babylonians. The king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. They were to be trained for three years. And after that, they were to enter the king's service." Verse 6, among these were some from Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. The chief official gave them new names. To Daniel, the name Belteshazzar, to Hananiah, Shadrach, to Mishael, Meshach, and to Azariah, Abednego. Why are they in Babylon? Because Babylon has conquered Israel. Nebuchadnezzar has deported some Israelites from Israel to Babylon and imported Babylonians into Israel. To change the culture, that's the goal, in Israel to Babylonian, and to change Israelites who are being deported into Babylon into Babylonian culture. They changed their names. Daniel, Hananiah, Azariah, and Mishael, all in their names have the name of the God of Israel connected to their names. Daniel, Azariah, hallelujah. And Babylon is changing their names. And every one of the names they gave them, the Babylonian names, of connection with a God of Babylon. Again, if you're a student and a note taker, you want to write down 2 Kings chapter 20, verse 18. God told King Hezekiah, King Hezekiah, years before, some of your descendants will become eunuchs in Babylon. Eunuchs. They castrated these guys. There goes your romantic dream. There goes your hope of ever having a family. You know who these guys were? Homecoming queens. Homeroom presidents. You're a leader in the SAT scores. You are best dressed. You are the one everybody else wants to be like. You are the hero in your school. You're the one that's beautiful. You're the one that doesn't have all the pimples. You don't have to deal with that stuff. These are the best of the best, humanly speaking, and they're hand-picked by Babylon. And Babylon's goal is very clear. Let's take these very select Jews, these young people, and let's get them to forget about the God of Israel, forget about commitment to Him, forget about His values, forget about that heritage. Must train them. And for three years, the intention was to train these guys, feed them the food of Babylon, the best food you can get, get them to forget their heritage of faith in the God of Israel. But they underestimated Daniel and his three friends. To read the story, Daniel refused to defile himself with the king's food. God shows them favor. They eat vegetables and drink water, and they become healthier than the guys eating the best of the king's delicacies. They refused, even though their names were changed, to forget their connection with the God of heaven. And even though... They were in Babylon, and Babylon was doing everything it could to transform them into Babylonian culture. They never lost connection, and they never lost faith in the God of Israel. It's a great book. Because it gives me hope not only for the future, it gives me encouragement now that I can live among a godless culture. I can live among godless people and I can be committed to the Lord. But it takes that. It takes commitment. It takes commitment. And it tells me that the best of the best, the most impressive humanly speaking, if you're really committed... You don't have to give in to the world. You don't have to give in to to, to the pressure. You don't have to have the values that everybody else has. You don't have to go that way. You can be committed to the Lord. And Daniel and his three friends, they show us it can be done. Now listen carefully. If you're worth your salt for the kingdom of God, and you refuse to adopt the culture of the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, if it feels good, do it, even if it violates a purity issue that God has laid down in his word. Your values are different. Your lifestyle is different. You're not going to be like everybody else. But if you have that commitment, let me tell you what, Satan is not satisfied just saying, well, we can't get to him that way. Because if you remain committed and don't become like everybody else and don't adopt the values and culture of the world, here's what Satan's going to do. He's coming after you in another way. Jesus told us. John chapter 15. Jesus, let us know. Don't be surprised. Here's what he said. John 15, verse 18. If the world hates you, keep in mind it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own, as it is. You don't belong to the world, but I've chosen you out of the world. That's why the world hates you. Remember the words I spoke to you. No servant is greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. Some of the favorite stories in the book of Daniel are ones we like to tell, but if you had to live it, you wouldn't enjoy it. I mean, Daniel chapter 3, Nebuchadnezzar builds this great statue. The statue represents himself. And he tells all the people in Babylon, including the Jews that have been deported there, Daniel and his friends. Band's going to strike up and everybody needs to bow down and worship the statue, which represents King Neb. Daniel is somewhere else, probably on a governmental issue, a governmental responsibility, because he's not in the scene in Daniel 3. It's only Hananiah, Azariah, Mishael. We know them better as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, but that's the names Babylon gave them. And when the band strikes up and everybody bows down to worship this huge statue that Nebuchadnezzar has set up, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego do not bow. And when everybody else is bowing and you don't bow, you're an easy spot. They get called before King Nebuchadnezzar. He says, I hear that you guys aren't bowing before the, the statue. You're right, O king. And we want you to know we will not bow. Nebuchadnezzar has made a fiery furnace that anybody that does not bow before the statue is going to be thrown into the fiery furnace. <laughs> He gets so angry at Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego that he commands it be made seven times hotter than normal. And a representative for the three speaks and says, we want you to know, O king, our God is able to save us, but even if he does not, we will not bow. I can think the other two going, what do you mean, what if he does not? What do you mean? He will, won't he? (laughs) And they all three get thrown into the fiery furnace and you love the story if you know the story because Neb and his his people are watching and Nebuchadnezzar says, hey, didn't we throw three guys in there? Yep, three guys. Who's that fourth guy?
0: joining us today to study the Old Testament on the Living Word. You may have thought that this section of the Bible isn't relevant in a world that Jesus has redeemed, but we hope through this study that you've changed your opinion. There's plenty to learn from Old Testament books, the people within, and the ways that God reveals himself. The God you meet in the Old Testament is the same one who created you, and the same one who's governing your life right now. If you'd like to explore more teachings from this Gleanings from the Old Testament series, you can find them online at ccfstpete.church. Just click on Sermons. You'll be redirected to our YouTube page, where you can watch a number of teachings from Calvary Chapel Fellowship and subscribe to our channel. Come connect with us on social media as well. You'll find The Living Word on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, and you'll be able to jump into the conversations there. If you happen to be in the St. Petersburg area, we'd love to meet you. You're invited to join us for our weekly services at Calvary Chapel Fellowship. We meet Saturday at 6 p.m. and Sunday at 9 or 11 a.m. We're excited to welcome you into our family of faith. You'll find directions and more information at our website. Again, that's ccfstpete.church. That's all we have for today. Tune in next time for more on The Living Word.